Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I'm joined by Andy Boedo from Revenue Cat. Hey, Andy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we had Ariel on from App Figures, and we talked about a lot of the new stuff as far as the App Store is concerned when it comes to posting. But a big part of the App Store is actually making some money. So <laughs> it's really good to have you on and talk about all the the weird new stuff coming out with uh, StoreKit and things like that. First of all, in the last episode, we talked about all the proposed settlements that have been going on and changes to the App Store for for legal reasons. What, how has that affected the App Store for developers? And what kind of updates are you looking at having to make in, with Revenue Cat when it comes to that stuff? So. The recent changes have been interesting. They have not been dramatic uh, in any way so far. So I think like the more exciting part is just the trend where it seems like Apple is very slowly starting to give developers a bit more, a few more options. And it's kind of like, it's mostly by force, <laughs> uh, right? Because yeah. like, you know, they, they all started with like lawsuits or like investigations from different, different governments, but it's still it's still allowing for a bit more flexibility. Like for example, reader apps can now link you to their website, which you know makes sense. Yeah, because, that's like, a big deal. Before that, it, it, you just had like this very nonsensical experience if you like started like the Netflix app and it, Netflix couldn't link you to their website. They could just say, "Hey, go visit Netflix.com." Right. So that it introduces a bit more sanity uh, and that kind of thing. And then you know the the proposed settlement. Is uh, it, it's not like it's not what people wanted. I think. Yeah. You know, it, it only does like clarifications and and very minor tweaks, and, and like it rolls back like a, a new rule that was hard to enforce uh, to begin with. But it, but but there's but there's a clear trend, right? And the other day uh, there was this uh, thing with South Korea where the government is sort of forcing Apple to allow for essentially other app stores. So they, like, it's, it, it, they're forcing Apple to, to not force developers into using exclusively app store for in-app purchases. And, and that, might, that one might be the more interesting one because if other governments use that as a base, like if the, if, if the, if the UE goes with that and, and, and like bases off of that and, and forces new app right. stores to come along, then that's going to be a, a bigger change Right, and, and it'll allow for developer flexibility, and I'm still somewhat concerned about the consumer experience. Yeah, yeah, same here. I don't want to get too off topic. I'm a little bit worried that like Apple has been, Apple has put themselves in a position to where they have to wait for like a government to tell them what to do, as opposed to them doing it by themselves. Because what it ends up doing is, like you said, it can ruin the consumer experience if it's by edict. I feel like as opposed to just Apple being like, hey, like, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like alternate app stores. I don't think that's going to fix the problems that we're having. But like, yeah, it's like, it's never going to be an awkward implement. It's always going to be an awkward implementation if it becomes through legal edict. And I feel like if Apple had nipped this in the bud earlier, we wouldn't be in the position we're in. And it's kind of unfortunate. And there's still time, right? It would be great if, if Apple just went ahead and, and did like self-regulation. They just enabled like they just revised the rules like very dramatically, but it seems like they're just for now doing the absolute like bare minimum that they can to comply. 
Right. And, and if like, if it comes by, like, if it comes by big regulation, then that's going to probably not be great. Like if, if you look at the, the story with like, for example, in, in, in windows and in the world of games, you have like multiple stores, but each game developer has their own store and it just leads to a very awkward experience. Right. You have to have like so many stores installed and, and they like, they're not great at user experience either. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that that won't happen, but it might. Yeah. Right. Right. So I guess I want to ask the topic and this is something I've kind of faced is making money outside of the app store when it comes to your app. So for instance, like I, I have an app where there's a, it's an Apple watch app and there's a, there's a web component to it. And so I've, Actually, for better user experience, I've decided that I'm better off just going through Stripe instead of trying to make it an in-app purchase because I don't think it's a great experience to do in-app purchase on the watch when there's like a web dashboard where most of those features are in. Are there any other like instances where you think, yeah, it's not really worth doing an in-app purchase and just going outside of the app store when you can, I guess? I think it really depends on on how advanced your your app is, like what the product market fit situation is. Because like anytime you go, like StoreKit is, you know, it takes work to implement, but it, it kind of takes more work to do something else on your side, right? Because if, if you go with Stripe, for example, you have to think about like the taxes, you have to like provide a way to manage subscriptions, you have to like provide yeah. support. There's a lot that Apple is, you know, for better or for worse, they're doing and they right. they they are quite refined at doing. So it, it, it kind of really depends. If you're well past 100K in annual revenue, you have like, you have some, you know, some things established, you have probably like a team at this point. Like at, the, at that point, then you can, you can probably start like allocating some resources into like having something outside of the app store. But for, for the vast majority of developers, if you're, you know, particularly indie, indie developers, if you, if you have a small team, it's, it's usually like a better, it's a better idea to focus as much of your resources into providing the best app you can. Uh, and I think like if, if you have a clear case where, where in-app purchases are just not providing a great UX, like what you mentioned on the watch, then, then perhaps right. that's a great use case for, for actually going outside. But if not, then you should try and focus as much of your resources into making a valuable app and into making sure that the thing that you're proposing as a purchase provides as much value as you can. And then like once that happens and you're like, you're sure that your, your users understand the value and it's like, there's a clear fit there and things are a bit more established. Then at that point you can start thinking about, okay, you know, how can we expand revenue? But the, the other thing to keep in mind is that Apple has done a remarkable job at making it easy to purchase and make and convincing users to make purchases. Right. And so the value that you get out of that is that people are more inclined to make a purchase through the Apple system than going through like even Stripe, which is very, very, very nice, right? But but still like they, they just make it so seamless that you won't get that much more like new traffic and new purchases coming in as opposed to like the amount of work that you have to put in to actually go through another one. You know what I mean? Right, right. And I think too, like, like it makes clear sense when it's like you said, the seamless experience on the iPhone, right? Where it's like, that's where you're making the purchase. But 
yeah, if if you have outside experiences and you can be willing to support like doing all the handholding of trying to implement it in Stripe or whatever other service you want to do, yeah, it might make sense to to go outside of that. Assuming you don't like burn the bridges of app review, yeah, you're pretty much good to go. So are in-app purchases with subscriptions still like the preferred way of making money in the app store right now? Because I know Apple certainly tried to push that um, model as far as like iOS apps are concerned. I guess the answer, like with all things is it depends. And, 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 you know, in-app purchases with subscriptions don't fit every app out there, but they fit a remarkable amount. Um, So the, the reason is like, if you, if you're, Making an app purchase with a subscription and you, and you get like recurring revenue, it's it's very nice for you because you, you get the stability of right. having like you know stable revenue, right, and hopefully growing revenue. But on the other hand, like there's the expectation from from the user that you're you're going to continue to increase the value of the product, right? So if if you have something that you want to like have one product that like one tool that does one thing and you don't want to ever touch it again or you, you don't want to like continue to work on it, then perhaps a subscription won't be the best match because like it won't, it will also not match what the user is doing, right? They're, they're constantly paying for something as a service. Then you should as a service, try and like improve upon it. Right. So if you have like, if you're doing like a metronome for guitar and, and, and you have no plans of ever modifying it after the initial implementation, then maybe a subscription isn't that be- the best fit, but there are clear cases where like, if you're, if you're working, for example, on a weather app and you have like, you're using an, an external API and you have to pay for yeah, it. There we go. Then that's a, that's a clear no brainer. Like you have you have you know fixed costs, right? Uh, and and so you should try and like use subscriptions or something that will meet those costs as well. But they are like they have a lot of advantages versus like you know making a, a one time purchase in the in uh, off the app in the app store. So you have to like pay before you download. Then for the user, that's very high friction. They don't really know what they're getting before they they actually make right. a purchase. And if you, if you go with with ads, then they they always diminish the user experience. There's just no way around it, right? Like you're always sacrificing a bit of the the app experience in order to put the ads in, right? So versus, like I would say for 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 most apps, um, it'll probably be better to go with in app with with subscriptions as long as well you also plan on providing more value once you put the app out there. Yeah, like for instance, I have a Mac app that I want to convert over to subscription because I want to continue building on it. And I I went with the simplest and easiest approach, which was just charge a price. But like part of that problem is there's no way to do trials or anything like that without like going with some sort of in-app purchase model instead. So what are some other mistakes that you can think of that developers make when they put their app in the app store as far as how you know, how they do their in-app purchases or how they monetize their app. I think I've seen a, a few developers sport and fall into some traps. Like, for example, assuming that, for example, like you have an app that's just starting out, but assuming that analytics and, and A-B testing will get you all the information you need. If you're small, that's very, very unlikely to happen because you just won't have statistical significance for anything, right? You just right. have anecdotal data. Right. So, but, but I've seen folks try to like plug in A-B tests and you have like thousand users. That's not going to give you much. Right. And particularly like even when I, when I used to work at Elevate, like even for a lot of our A-B tests, like we wouldn't get strong enough signals unless something was happening at the very, very start of the experience. 
And this was with a pretty established app, which had like 40, 50 million users, right? So it was, it, it's just hard to get like any, any value out of analytics when you're just starting out. But a lot of folks dedicate a lot of time into it. So that's one. I'd say another big one is kind of in the same spirit, overly focusing on going for too many platforms on day one. So for example, I've seen like folks who start out with, with something in like, for example, they, they use Flutter and, and because if you use Flutter, you also get the ability to, to deploy on, on Android as well. And, and you could go for iPad. You can even go for macOS right now. Right. So they decide to just go for all of them on day one. And that kind of like, that means that you have to maintain a broader, a broader scope of things, right? You have to make sure that the experience works for everyone. And there's like such a wide set of devices that you have to test. And, and like that just takes away from the time that you spent, like actually building the features. So that, that would, that I would say like is, is the other trap. It's not focusing on just, you know, it, it, I think in my experience, it's better to just focus on, on one place, making sure that the experience is, is good there, that the value is good there and not you know, the, 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 the another trap would be like making sure that the thing you want to sell, the part where you want to do the cutoff for your app, that is valuable, right? Because you might, you might and, and it's, it's more art than science, right? But what, you have to decide which part of your app you're going to make, you know, purchasable. Sometimes you can go too far and, and make something like make the entire app uh, have like be behind a paywall and then people don't under, actually understand what the value of the app is. You can go, you can go to the other extreme and just like put only stuff that no, that, that, that very, very few people actually care about behind a paywall. And then you won't like, you know, most users will never pay for it. So that's the, that's the kind of thing that you need to, to focus on understanding, like, especially if you're, if you're early on and you're trying out in-app purchases, just try and understand exactly what the value of your app is, focus on that and making it as valuable as possible and, and talk to users, definitely talk, always talk to users, try and understand why they want the app and what they want out of it. And then you can like start understanding where the paywall should be, what should be you know, for free or what shouldn't be if you want to go with that model and, and where like you make the cutoff and particularly like, I guess all in all, it just translates into focus and understand the, your product and the value it provides to users. And then you can slowly expand. How, so how do you contact your users if you're going through the app store? Uh, well, <laughs> um, okay. So the settlement says that you can officially uh, email them as long as they have an email, email account, uh, right? Or you know, if you're going through, through a sign in with Apple, then you, you can go through those paths and then like i guess like one of the possibly like one i'd say underrated uh way of, of doing things is like if you if you have an app and that app is focusing on on like a very specific need right try and find like forums online try to find the people who whose need you're solving post it there get get those users to talk about those potential and maybe actual users to talk about it, to tell you about the app, to, to tell you about other apps in the, in the market. Right. But like, that's, that's one that way. super powerful. Yeah. It's very like, it's very low cost. Right. Right. The other thing I was going to say is like, one of the first things you should do is start a mailing list before you even have an app in the app store. Like, especially if you want to start like a wait list or something like that. 
Um, that's a great way to gauge interest in that app before it's even out. Um, obviously, give them a little bit of a taste about what this app does, what it might look like. But like, yeah, that's that's something I've worked on is like starting a mailing list pretty easily and getting that started. Um, and then the other the other thing is I wanted to ask is regarding a paywall. What's I guess like like you said, kind of like talk to the users and see what what values what features they like the most and they value the most and then kind of using that as a gauge of what to put behind the paywall right yeah absolutely um and and like you have to like revise your paywall a lot in order to like it can be very easy to have the paywall not actually convey the value right it's 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 very hard right to to tell users like oh here's the things that that you get and then so sometimes like for example at at elevate we had uh, this problem and it was very clear for a while that folks didn't really know what the pro subscription would grant, right? And, and so we started like trying things out. We ended up like adding pro badges to a lot of places in the, in the app so that you could actually see, hey, here's what you would get if you were pro, right? Because um, otherwise, like you might have something there that like if, unless somebody actually like taps it, they, they won't actually see that they that it's part of a, you know, a paywall, right? Or some rather part of a subscription. So I guess like- right making sure that the paywall is conveying everything that it should, but also making sure that the app is some, like without sacrificing user experience, it's telling you, hey, here are the things that you're missing out on. Right, right. So I want to step back a little bit and get into some of the jargon that Apple uses and commonly a lot of stores use as far as like the API is concerned when it comes to the app store. I don't know if you want to you want to start with the word the jargon that you feel is more important. Or if I should start, who which of us should go first? I can go. Yeah, go for it. I guess like the so the the, the first very basic thing is like what what can you like what's an in app purchase like what qualifies right and and that'll be like always for digital good, uh, goods right so you can't make a an in app purchase for a gym subscription for example because the gyms is a is a physical thing. Right. You can you can make for an in-home like, you know, video based gym. Right. But if you have like a physical gym that you go for, that's not an in-app purchase. Right. That that, that goes to a di- different system, goes through way smaller fees. Right. So if you're if you're not trying to sell digital goods, then that's not an in-app purchase. And for all digital goods, you should be doing in-app purchase. And then so the. The way that that reflects is, well, you have the, the product conceptually, right? You, you create this product in, in Apple land that would be in App Store Connect, right? Um, could be a Google Play for, for Android, right? You, you create this product and that product has a unique identifier and that product identifier is, is very important to your app. So the idea is that you create your product in App Store Connect and then you use that product identifier within your app to fetch an instance of SK product in the case of Apple, which will have all the information that you need. And that information is very specific to the user. So an SK product will have, for example, the price in the local currency for for the user. It could have a localized description as well. So you have like a user who speaks Spanish or they're using a Spanish speaking store. Then you can have have a, a description that's in Spanish for them. Right. So that's kind of like the, the product in App Store Connect, product identifier, and the SK product, which is like what you use in the app. And that's the thing that you purchase, an SK product. Okay. And when you make a purchase, that gets reflected on the receipt. 
And uh, the receipt is a very, like, that's probably one of the more interesting or valuable and complicated <laughs> um, things in, in uh, StoreKit land, where the receipt is a file in, in the local file system in the device that is both the full transaction history for the user. So it'll, you make a purchase, it'll be reflected on the receipt. You make a purchase for a different thing, it'll be reflected on the same receipt. Right, and you you can decode it as a it is a ASN dot one um, encoded thing. It's it's horrible to decode, but you can decode it. I've actually done it in Swift, yeah. Because one of the things they talk about is like whether I, I think they're pretty much against doing like local validation on it right now. So you have to do it. You have to like set up your own little server, and I've set up a server in Swift to do it. Um, and then, yeah, you can like JSON decode it. And then from there, you could look at that purchase history, right? Absolutely. And so that's that's kind of the content of the receipt. But thing about the receipt is that the thing that you get on device, it well, first of all, if it's on device, you can't really trust it. And that's that's the main reason that they tell you not to actually parse it yourself. Right. So, well, you can exactly. parse it. You can't trust that whatever's on the in the device is 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 valid, right? Um, right. And and the, the, the receipt itself is also the token that you use to get the most updated version of that same history. So the thing is like the device might not know that you purchased something. Like if you have an iPhone and an iPad, the iPad might not be aware that you just made a purchase on, on the iPhone, for example. Right. So in order to get that information, you, you grab that same receipt and you send it over to Apple's verify receipt service and they will you return, they will decode it and they will actually return a JSON with the full transaction history. Okay. And, and so that's the one that's guaranteed to be up to date. So that's, that, that's kind of like the, the receipt in itself. It's, it's at the same time, a version of the transaction history, which may or may not be trustable and may or may not be up to date. And also the token that you use to send it to Apple in order to get the full trusted transaction history. And that like purchase, like when I was talking about that Mac app, like I, I looked at your, you had a really good tutorial on revenue cat about like converting over from app purchase to uh, in app purchase. And I'll post the link to that in the show notes. Cause I have like that Mac app where I want to take it from just a regular app store purchase and put it to an app store subscription. And like that transaction history will even have like if you did purchase the app through the app store, like a full on like regular app purchase, um, it'll have all that. So you can like easily you can make up all sorts of rules about what, like you said, that's where you make up the rules about the paywall. Right. It's like you look at the receipt and then, OK, I need to disable this feature, this feature, this feature or enable this feature, this feature, this feature and so on. Is that correct? Yeah. And so the one thing that. Storkit doesn't do very well is, is that mapping of they, 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 they map directly the products to the conceptual thing that you unlock. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that can lead to problems because like, if you, for example, if you want to have different price points or if you want to have like different combinations of the thing that you unlock, like the, you know, the part of your app that you unlock and the products that, that actually unlock it, like it's, it's kind of tricky. You have to like have somewhere like this mapping. And if you have like, if you're doing it on device, right, you have to have like a, either a reference to all the product identifiers or a way to ask the backend for the product identifiers and, and a way to, to enable and disable parts of the app based on that. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess that's where you guys come in, right? It's kind of help, 
Help me that is that is indeed one of the things <laughs> that, that that we do is is just map that to something that's closer to the app experience where you can you have the concept of entitlements which would be would map to like the thing that you unlock right, right. and it's it, it ties to the product identifiers but it's not a one to one match so that you can mix and match and do you know whatever you need and have the app be independent of that. Was there anything else as far as jargon was concerned before I jump into StoreKit two? I think that mostly covers the main concepts, I think. Okay. So let's get into it then. What were the big updates this June when it comes to the store kit? So store kit two does kind of like a big rewrite. And so the, the same, like, because of the same reasons that it's doing a big rewrite, it doesn't add that much on top because like, that's already a lot of work, but they like, first of all, provide whole new set of APIs. They're all Swift-based, so th- there's no Objective-C compatibility with StoreKit 2. <laughs> yep. another, another API that is not available on Objective-C. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if... I, hopefully developers have gotten the hint, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we, we certainly got the hint and we migrated the uh, entire Remnicat SDK to Swift uh, oh, wow. the past okay. couple of months. So yeah, it's it, I mean it's it's a clear trend, and and they're even like they they actually went full on and, and used Swift five point five for everything. So uh, you, okay, you, so you got all the async await stuff in there. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly, and does make for a much much nicer API. Uh, so some of the things that they cleaned up, for example, like if you're old school uh, StoreKit one would require you to go through a very awkward flow where for example for in order to get like you used to have to set up a delegate like for instance which is pretty old school yeah exactly so you want to get the products you have to you know you have to ask for the products and then have a delegate for the answers you want to get the transactions you have to observe the queue and wait for you know the queue to tell you if if something's going on right so now we have more sane things (laughs) where you can just you know async await like wait for products to come back and then you continue your flow. You yeah. you know wait for the the purchase to go through, right? You have um, you have an async stream for for updates in in, in the purchases, right? And then in the transactions for the user. So it is it is much nicer when it comes to the to the API. It's really like it it does involve less work uh, when it comes to the API. They also added some more uh, server notifications. So you used to have like a very small subset of notifications that did not cover a lot of cases. Okay. So they, they kind of split it up into like, like... Like we're talking like webhooks, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you have more uh, cases that trigger a notification. And within that, notifications will have substates. So if you combine the actual notification with the substate, you cover like... Most flows, uh, which okay. did not used to be a thing, and so for context on on why that's uh, a big deal in the first place, before in Storkit one, in order to to actually provide a subscription, you need to constantly pull Apple servers to check that the that subscriptions have renewed. Right, if you have like if you have you're close to the date where the subscription will expire, you have to start pulling Apple. Hey, has this you know user made another purchase? Have they renewed? Have they renewed? Right, and and so you had webhooks, but they did, didn't cover a lot of cases, so you wouldn't have no way around the polling. And now with these webhooks, they actually cover enough cases that you might still need to do a little polling, but much less. So that's that's a, a big change. Um, another big change is the, the change in the receipt. 
So you know how I said that you had like this full transaction history on device in an ASN.1 right, right. receipt. We entirely overhauled that. And while you still have that, it's still available in Storkit 1. And you can still fetch the receipt and you make a purchase in Storkit 2. It'll still be reflected onto that receipt. But I have a, for, a new format, uh, which is the JSON web tokens. Um, so the idea okay. is it, it's it's much more modern. It's still, you know, it's still very secure, but it's more sane. <laughs> you can actually get... So it's using JWT to store that information. Exactly. Okay. And each each purchase will, will be reflected in a, in a transaction there. And and from there on, like when, instead of like going to the old verify receipt with the token that you used to do in Storkit 1, you now have two APIs. One is for the full transaction history, which is now paginated, which is much better if you have, particularly if you have a lot of purchases for a single user, if somebody has been a subscriber for a long time, that used to be like right. super slow and it's to be like, you know, huge receipt, it, it was awful. Okay. So now they have a paginated history if, if needed, but you also have a separate API for just, you know, getting the latest information for a given user. Oh, good, good. Okay. That's what I was going to ask is like, can you like filter the, the receipt accordingly? But it sounds like you can just get the latest. Okay. Yeah. They also have... Well, TBD on, on how well that works because I've had some issues in Sandbox, but they <laughs> they have like the ability now from like on device, you should be able to verify transactions with no code, just asking StoreKit to verify it for you, right? So when you make a purchase, like StoreKit will tell you whether it's verified. So you should like in theory, you should be able to trust the device now, which you, should, you did not uh, have that ability in StoreKit 1. Okay. Again... TBD on how well that works because uh, it, it, as of a recording in Sandbox, it doesn't work. Are you thinking it's going to work in a couple of months? I mean, I expect it to. But I, I expect them okay. to eventually like figure out the the, the bugs, right? Um, right, I, right. It would ideally happen before getting stuff to production, but history says that they, it might not. Okay, but, it, okay. it, but, but sooner or later, they'll have this thing that you can actually trust on device and it should be kept somewhat up to date. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's a huge, huge new thing from, from StoreKit 2, which makes it saner. You still need, you okay. still need a server in, in a number of situations. Uh, so if you, if you want to do, for example, something multi-platform, then you have no way around. If you want to have like, for example, Stripe payments, as well as the, the, the iOS side, then you don't have a choice because like you need somewhere to, to, to actually be able to. Um, you know, right. to verify the Stripe transactions in the same way, like if you have something in Android or you know, if you have an account system, there are still a lot of reasons why you would need servers. But, but if, if you have a very simple setup now, Storkit 2 might actually get you a lot more value than, than Storkit 1 did. Assuming that, of course, you can actually target iOS 15 plus and the corresponding OS releases because uh, because it needs Swift 5.5. For now, it just seems like it won't be deployed on any earlier OS versions. Well, yeah, I wouldn't imagine StoreKit 2, even even if they do add backwards compatibility to async away, I, I can't imagine StoreKit 2 is going to be available on 14 and lower. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't I, I don't think that'll be the case. Right. So if, if you have if you want to support iOS 14 as of today, Sanest thing to do is to to keep uh, like keep using Storkit one and maybe integrate okay. Storkit two where it makes sense because okay. there 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 are a couple of new things that are cool like for example with Storkit two you can also um, bring up this this 
managed descriptions modal from okay. RAP. So this would be like, you know, in circuit one days, you can, you can still like, you can go into your device and go into settings, app stores, descriptions, right, and then you can right. manage your subscription. Now it's all in app. Exactly. So it's just a modal yeah, within, awesome. within the app, uh, which is really cool. And then they have this, uh, this refund API. Um, yep. Yep. Which sounds better than it is, right? It's, it's a, it's an API to begin a refund request. So you can't, you can't actually grant a refund, but you can, you can have your user start the request from, from the app. And, you, and, and it goes like, it ties in with another API, which is the consumption API, which essentially you use in order to help the app store team figure out whether a refund is applicable. <laughs> right. Okay. So okay. the idea is that you use the, the consumption API to tell Apple, hey, here's how the user has used this purchase if they have used it at all. Right. So you provide a lot of metadata of like time used for the app and the, and the cost of the purchase and like a lot of things uh, here and there. And then you you call the you know the begin refund request API. And with the two the app, the Apple App Store team should be able to make a more informed decision of whether a refund applies for the user. So you, you can't refund the user yourself. You can make it slightly easier for them to do it. So does is Apple the only one that can make that decision? Or is it like, I thought it was Apple makes the decision and then you have that option to then give the user a refund or not. It's up to Apple. Um, Completely up to Apple. Yeah. Okay, okay. At least to my knowledge. So, okay, all right. Well, that's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of problematic because like for the vast majority of of, uh, developers out there, they just want to be able to refund because like, yeah, Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. No, I I don't think, I don't think most developers are in a position of being penny pinchers when it comes to that kind of stuff. It's like if the user wants a refund, it's not worth burning bridges on that one. Yeah, totally agree. So I wanted to ask what, what do you think are some major differences as far as the approach that devs should make, uh, whether they're indie or large company when it comes to approaching the app store? I think, you know, it goes back to what is what I was saying earlier. Like if you're if you're a smaller team, you need to you need to make sure that you're using your resources as effectively as possible. Right. And to that spirit, um, it's probably you know, just Try and focus on understanding your products and the value and and seeing like what merits being purchased and what you know you what people are actually willing to to pay money for. And yeah. if you're if you're a larger team, of course that's that's still very important, but you can also like if if, if you have a larger app and, and more users, you can actually start trying some things, right? You can you can have like more advanced analytics that will actually provide you with a signal of or whether like the the price is is fair, right? You might you might have like if if you have a lot of traffic, right? If you have a lot of users, you might see some interesting stuff. Like for example, you might find like a if you're trying out prices, you might find that you were stuck in a, in a, like a, a local maximum, right? But there, but but if you try like pricing out pricing it up even further, sometimes it, you know the the amount of people purchasing jumps up. A lot, right? So if, if you have a larger team, uh, you can you can try that kind of stuff out and try like 
you know, expanding to, to more platforms. Like for example, you can start seeing like, you know, does it make sense to add iPad? And given that we have iPad, does it make sense to, mm. to go with a full Mac app, right? And, and stuff like that. And if you're smaller, you, you maybe don't have the bandwidth for that, but you actually have like, you, you have a bit more agility when it comes to other stuff. Like for example, smaller teams tend to be better at adopting like new APIs or, or this new thing here and there that actually like might get you a solid feature, which might get you some, some attention here and there, right. Or you might like try some, you, you can experiment a bit more with what the app is uh, when, when you're smaller, right. And, and when you're bigger, you can experiment a bit more on like the finer touches on the app. And sometimes that also has like a very huge impact on, on monetization. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So before we close out, I wanted to ask, where do you see the future of the App Store as far as developers? Like, what would you imagine WWDC 2022 or like what features are they going to be adding? Like with with legal changes or not, like where do you think uh, things are headed? So it looks like, I don't think like maybe not for WWDC 2022, but it def- there's definitely a trend for for either Apple to ease up uh, a, a bit more on, on you know their their rules, or somebody will just come in and force them to uh, right. to create a new uh, you know to, to, to allow for more app stores. I don't know if like if that happens, I don't know how impactful it'll, it'll be because like one thing to keep in mind is that this has been a thing in Android for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Like Android does have the Amazon Store. And it wasn't like it gets fairly little traffic. Um, maybe now with Windows 11, it'll get a bit, a, a bit more. But like, it, oh, because you could put that Android app on Windows. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But it, you know, Android has had like way easier rules on everything for a while, and it hasn't had that big of an, of an effect uh, on on the actual monetization. So we'll see. I, I guess. How about like. As far as like the API is concerned, what do you think? Cha- which, where do you think they're headed? As far as like StoreKit three would be concerned, well, it looks. I think like with you, you can see some things with StoreKit two where like they have just and and this is not something that you say often, but it, it seems like Apple is listening, right? Um, so, <laughs> um, it, 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 like it does seem like some some stuff like for example they added uh, introductory trial eligibility API which used to be a horrible thing to calculate yourself. Uh, and, yes. and it still is if you're you know, iOS 14 or less, right? You, you have to like compute it yourself and you always have a best guess. And, 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 <laughs> and now they added something for it. So I'm hoping that they'll add some more stuff. Like for example, give you the price of the purchase, which is insane that we don't have access to and, and give you like some more automation. Like for example, right now in, in App Store, uh, the, the App Store Connect API is not very flexible. It doesn't allow you to do many things. Like, for example, um, for example, you, you saw how like Twitter has now the super follows, right? And they set right. it up in a way that each and every one of them is a single different um, product in, in App Store Connect. And they, they created so many that I find it a little hard to believe that they did it manually. Maybe like... Uh, so- okay. Maybe some poor right. intern got that job, but I have to believe that there's an API out there, hopefully, and that they will actually make it available to everyone. And, and if that happens, then it'll make a lot of things like a lot easier when it comes to like, you know, just maintaining your you know, in-app purchases, being able to validate, being able to 
um, being able to test, they, they put a lot of focus uh, last year on, and, and, and this year a little bit too, on improving the experience for Sandbox, where like, you know, with StoreKit tests and StoreKit config files, you can actually try, like you can, you can make purchases uh, in unit tests and, and, and test up that way. So I'm hoping that that's the kind of thing that they'll expand upon. I'm, I'm really not looking for that many new features, mostly just polish, like, you know, allowing for, for the price of the, of, of the transaction to be there, which still <laughs> boggles my mind that, it, that you can't access, allowing for App Store Connect to have a, a more, you know, valuable API when it comes to in-app purchases. So you can, well, yeah. at least get the price from there, if not, if not from the app, but you, know, you, you can actually create them and maintain your, your products, hopefully, Right, and and that's the kind of thing that I would like to see them uh, expand upon, and and just you know, and, and add more stuff that that doesn't work currently on Sandbox. Although it, it often feels like an afterthought. Like I mentioned before, for example, even in StoreKit two, full rewrite. As of today, you can't make if you make a purchase with StoreKit two, it will always be unverified if you check it with StoreKit two. But if you check the receipt in StoreKit 1, it will be there and it will be valid, uh, which is crazy. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll work a little more on that on that developer experience, uh, which has been, you know, I'd, I'd say like developer sentiment today is, is kind of, is not great. And part <laughs> of it is just that the experience has been really tough uh, for developers. Yeah. So I, I'm really hoping that they'll, Focus a bit more on that and not on on adding that many features at least for one year. You're right. We'll right. Goes. Oh, and yeah. Okay, so if, if I'm if I'm asking for things, huge one that I ask, please Apple give us a good way of managing packed like bulk purchases for for businesses because they, they they did. Oh, is that really a pain in the neck? It's it's terrible. Uh, there's there's no okay. way like. And, and I think like there's with family sharing, there's some of the grant work is already there, right? So you can now yep. make, you know, purchase a subscription and have, and have your family participate, right? And, but they, there's no way to do that for a business unless you set them up as a family, right? Right, um, right. And so it's, currently, it's like, a it's, lot of the, the pain with the app store is the fact that they started off with it being nothing but like, uh, part of the iTunes store and then they kind of like built stuff on top of it. I get that feeling sometimes. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. Uh, a lot of it is just inheritance from those days where like, I think we're developers are still uh, referred to as MZ artists in, in, <laughs> in some of the places. And, and like, and, and you know, the, the whole web object stays and whatever. So like it, the, the original implementation of StoreKit was just, you know, piling on to the thing where you purchased a single song and then while well, you right. purchase a single thing and then like subscriptions, like they just kept piling on without without really rethinking the structure. And that's kind of what they did with StoreKit 2. It seems like the first time that they stopped and said, okay, can we like rebuild this in a, in a slightly more sane way? Right. So hopefully that like sets up a base for some of what they'll do in the future. Like for example, this is something that they're doing for the first time is um, the, with the StoreKit 2 product has a field in it that is the backing value, uh, which is essentially the JSON they get from their backend. They make it available. Okay. And so the thinking there is that if they add new um, new features that involve a new JSON field, then they'll be able to expose it to you through the backing value in older OS versions. Right? And oh, wow. Okay. 
So that's the first time I've seen them do like very forward thinking. Uh, hopefully yeah. that's the kind of thing that we see next year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming on. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to interrupt the construction in the background. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. My uh, my neighbors in the building next door just decided that this was the best day to to do heavy construction work. It's not a raging fan who wants to know more about StoreKit. It is construction in the background. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy, for coming on. Where can people find you online? Uh, well, you can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, Andres Boedo. That's A N D R E S. B-O-E-D-O. And I think that's about it. I'm not that much of a public person, but happy to, to answer any questions that people may have off StoreKit, RevenueCat, and anything in between. Yeah, and I'll provide links to that and RevenueCat and some of the articles on there that uh, have been super helpful to me and uh, have come out of the RevenueCat team. Thank you again. Thank you. People can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. My company is Bright Digit. Please take some time to subscribe and like if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're subscribed through podcast player of some sort, please post a review. I'd love to hear any feedback you have. Reach out to me on Twitter. Thank you again. And I look forward to talking to you in the next episode. Bye.